V-H-A-N-G. How do you pronounce it, Jinjin? Isn't that Zhang? Well, I mean, there's no Zhang over it. right? It's like a Zhang, right? And then for those listeners just tuning in, this is a podcast about pronunciation <laughs> of Chinese names in the English language. <laughs> Welcome to Glow Getters. My name is Tinjin Gu. I'm Haishin Chen. Joshua Xu. And this is an unapologetically Asian podcast for Asians. Let's get into it. This ever happened to you guys where like uh, you actually for- forget because like Tianjin is like you actually go by your your actual Chinese name, right? Like, do you ever forget how it actually sounds in Mandarin? Because, like, you hear the... No, the, the because Roman I'm asked version. about it all the time. I'm asked about it. Oh, really? Like, how do you actually pronounce That's always the worst. I always... <laughs> Go for it. They're always like, you know, I'm like, Tinjin. It's just tin like the metal, gin like the drink, because I anglicize it like a motherfucker. And then they're like, but how do you really pronounce it? And then, and then we oh, spend God. five minutes... <laughs> working on tones and i was like i'm like isn't this an interview for a job wait do you think that's more do you think that question is more of an annoying question than like where are you really from in some way because it's almost like the newest acceptable way of asking the same question it's subversive uh, i i'm irritated from like i haven't thought that much about it except for that it's I- irritating in a very practical sense because it's just a conversation that's just annoying to have Mm-hmm. Because like I, I go by Mike, you're like well you go you go by Josh, but like I still get that like what's your actual what's your Chinese name and then how do you actually go and pronounce it and then people always look at you and they give you that smile they feel like they have some sort of connection with you afterwards but really like yeah. I would have given them like ten dollars not to have that conversation like every like, Asian it, person has like the Chinese menu version of themselves right like give me the Chinese menu oh, like, let me God. let me let me see the Chinese menu right that's the good wait part. I have such a problem with that term i feel like i don't know about your industry Hashim, but for, for our listeners i'm in advertising right i'm in digi- digital strategy advertising and the word the term chinese menu gets brought up as like a replacement for the word offering as in like here's what we can do for you mr client here's our chinese menu and i'm just looking around the table bewildered like hey is anyone else listening to this because Last time I checked, a Chinese menu is literally the same as every other menu in which you pick what you want and you pay for it. So I don't understand why this term Chinese menu is widely spread and widely used even today in 2021. Dude, I didn't realize that. I thought it was like a thing like, you know, like here, you know, we're opening the kimono, right? Like what is mm-hmm. this? Sort what of- the fuck is we're opening the kimono? <laughs> what the fuck is that? Yeah. Being, like, <laughs> being like fully transparent, right? Like, like, oh my god, is that what it means? <laughs> Wait, that's rapey as hell, dude. I know. Opening the kimono. That is fucking yeah. rapey. No, no, opening the kimono is like a, that. That's way worse of a term than like the Chinese menu. It's worse. <laughs> worse. That's way worse. I, I, <laughs> it's the same, Hashim. Come on. <laughs> the, the, the Chinese menu concept, I think, is it, it's kind of like why speakeasies, quote unquote, speakeasies are like having actually this may might be passe now but why they had like their second day in the sun it's this idea that the restaurant that you go to have all the secret stuff that you have to be in the know you have to be in some sort of exclusive lead to go and order but like i i feel like knowing some owner china um chinatown restaurant owners in chicago that's almost a marketing ploy now more than what it was originally i didn't realize that interesting Mm -hmm. 
I didn't think about that. I mean, I haven't heard that used like that, but that is an interesting way of looking at it. But if you think about the fact that even like fucking Jamba Juice is doing that, like, hey, let me get that hidden menu number 11 fucking white gummy bear shit, then it's like, all right, then maybe this is not so smart of a marketing ploy anymore, guys. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is at the meeting for the Association of Chinese Restaurant Owners in Chicago that Haixin knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's fucking infuriating that every sort of cultural thing that we have is seen as this foreign thing, right? Opening the kimono is being fully transparent. I was like, or opening your clothes, right? Pulling down your pants. That's like, that's the same thing. It's just clothes. You know, Chinese menu, like you said, Josh, it's a fucking menu. Like we're not giving you some secret menu. It's just a menu. It's a goddamn menu. This is a place of business, sir. Um, Fucking order and move on. (laughs) I never even thought about how problematic opening the kimono is. That one is- uh, Holy shit especially bad it, ha- it has to have something to do with that that's like the what hypersexualization of asian women's thing right that's the 100%. concept of like geishas or whatever because uh, i i how how could that uh, th- why why is that term <laughs> how, how does that term exist is it from like the makata or something like that can we google that really fast i'm looking it up right now i'm wikipedia it there is nothing uh let's see <laughs> the Oh, the first, the first suggested hint on Google is opening the kimono, a kimono offensive. Um, Investopedia listed it as similar to open the books or an open door policy. Opening the kimono means revealing the inner workings of a project or company to an outside party. Yeah, but like that, that doesn't talk about how problematic this is. Why can't you just say open door policy? Yeah. Because it doesn't sound sexy enough. <laughs> Oh my god! It's like it's it's not just being fully transparent, right? Like opening kimono is also like you know having the sort of the erotic overtones, erotic overtone and submissive overtone. Yeah. Now, to be fair, like in my in my professional career, I've never actually heard someone use it. I, uh, Me neither. Yeah, this, this seems like it, might, it may be a Hollywood thing, Tijin. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> we're, we're, we're the ones. Whenever I get in, this is the, they usually open it up with, "All right, Tinjin, open your kimono and show us your Chinese menu." <laughs> well, so maybe just to provide context, uh, just just talking about ourselves real quick, so people know why we're making fun of Tinjin. But uh, you know, like I said earlier, my name is Joshua Joshua Shu. I moved here from Taiwan when I was nine, um, and you know now I, I'm also a new father. So I, I think you know, like a lot of what I'm talking about is like from the point of view of an of an immigrant, and also as like someone who's scared shitless all the time. Um, I'm in digital strategy, like I mentioned, um, and that's what I do every day. All right, Haishin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm Haishin Chen, Midwest grown, uh, ABC, American born Chinese. So do not have any nationality roots to the old country. Um, yep, live and work in, I live in uh, Chicago now, uh, work in the corporate world, um, a much more practical world than where uh, Tinjin lives. Tinjin? Yeah, that's right. Um, hey, I'm <laughs> Tinjin Gu. And I don't know my ass from my elbows as a TV writer and producer <laughs> in Hollywood. Uh, grew up in a small town in Michigan. I was actually born in Shanghai. And then met these two in college. We've stayed in touch ever since, uh, even though you know I'm living a bumbling bicoastal existence. I don't know what I do. 
<laughs> but Haishin, you seem to have a better idea of what I do than I do. Well, no, no you introduced yeah, streaming into into the the public consciousness, into the streaming technology. Well, I mean, oh, so right. I, I think it's important context to say that, at least for myself, I haven't talked to you, either of you guys very much in ten years. Not not substantially. We've had those kind of catch up conversations where it's like ten minutes of just like. Oh, what have you been doing lately? And that kind of stuff. And then maybe like 10 minutes of actual, like actual conversation. And then it's inevitable, like, oh, I actually have to go to work now. <laughs> um, sign off and like, what, the 25 minute mark. But we haven't really talked in around 10 years. Is that an accurate statement? Or have you guys been talking more? Hi, Shane. We, uh, there's something I have you to You guys show talk you. all the time. I have to show you on the Chinese menu. Josh and I talk all the time. <laughs> If, if I can be fully, uh, fully opened kimono here, we've been talking very frequently. Oh, God. <laughs> you fucking jerks. <laughs> well. <laughs> but I think that it's interesting, though, because when we met in college, right, obviously we were much younger, much more immature. We had different viewpoints of the world. And honestly, like, I don't know about you guys, but like then, even though I was already struggling with what it meant to be an immigrant and not quite fitting into what you know, um, America and also specifically white culture was demanding of me to fit in um, or the illusion of fitting in. I didn't really get exposed to as much of what it meant to be Asian American, the pride, the pain, the suffering, the you know, representation struggles until, you know, right now where I am 10 years into my career. And um, I think we're all coming at this from a way different viewpoint than, than when we first met as boys. Well, I mean, my, my point with the last one, too, was that, like, I think in the last 10 years was, like, the first time, because up until, like, college graduation, when we had to go and look for jobs, for the most part, like, I was able to avoid major relationships with white people for the 22 years prior. But <laughs> No, it's true. And then, like, when I was in all these interviews, that's when I realized, like, oh, man, I'm, I'm just ill-equipped to go and handle these uh, these white conversations these kind of like dilbert reading like leadership and i, I realized very quickly that i was very ill-equipped to go and handle that but tingen for yourself like one thing i never asked you too much about when when we uh originally knew each other back in college was you actually have like a lot of white friends right? just Dude, like you guys were the up. first asians i hung out with <laughs> Like I was was essentially my first real Asian friend or mutual friend that you know introduced all of us. And I mean, it's it, it's really wild to think that. Like I only grew up well, hanging out with white that. people. Yeah. So a lot of it was just hiding who I was. One of the memories, one of the worst fucking memories I have, um, and I didn't even remember it. My mom reminded me. Um, you know, this first real taste I got where I was just like, oh, you know, writing feels like a process, like uh, processing, I'm processing something, uh, was freshman year of high school. Um, we read this short story called Fish Cheeks. I forgot who wrote it. It might've been Amy Tan actually about this young girl who was, who had this boy that she was crushing on and he was coming with his family and he was white. And she was so scared to show him her food and was just mortified when her father offered the fish cheeks to her, which was the, her favorite part. And the assignment was to write a letter to this young girl. And I wrote the 
quote unquote letter. Um, and I was like really sympathizing with her and I was writing a lot of real shit on the page and I didn't even realize it. Like I, for some reason in my head, I was like going into a character being like, Hey, you know, like I was wishing I was white too. And this and that. And apparently it affected the teacher so much, um, that he let my mom know during like parent teacher conference that, you know, I wrote this thing and it was really good. And she read it. And for the f one of the first times, I really saw my mom being really sad because she said, you know, like when you grew up, that's all you said was, I wish I was white. First of all, that's super powerful. You're right. It is Amy Tan. It's wild that uh, that was actually an assignment during high school because what your, your town where you grew up in, right? In Michigan, Ginger was what, like 99% white? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so that's crazy that that, that was even read in the first place uh, in your high school. So I'm like super, super thrown by that. But 100% empathizing with you, like hiding. Like, first of all, having to ramp up quickly to even learn English. So I would stop getting picked on was a challenge. And then once I mastered the language and I was able to communicate, I found out I still didn't fit in other ways. And it almost feels like throughout my years growing up, in Michigan, as I started to get, as I started to get more acclimated into the American culture, it felt like a moving goalpost of what I meant to fit in, and I never even reached it until like not even today, right? Like now I'm in my thirties, I still feel perpetually like the outsider, not quite fitting in anywhere. Because you can emulate the clothing, you can emulate the culture, you can emulate all of the interests. Talk about Star Wars or like WWE or like fucking i don't know um skateboarding at the local burger king or something like that but you'll never be really accepted because of what you look like and i think that's a hard pill to swallow i know we should it's put like, a like a disclaimer at the beginning of this episode which is like shorthand for her white culture is uh <laughs> um unintentional but like what we're associated it to wwe and what skateboarding in dilbert <laughs> the height, <laughs> the height dilbert, of yeah. white culture <laughs> As, as Midwestern Asian Americans, this is this is the only thing we know. <laughs> I, I, I'm not a fan of Dilbert, but like I, I, I'll watch some WWE even now. <laughs> so not these are not necessarily bad things, only shorthand. Well, actually, how, how did you feel? Well, you know, I just, now I'm curious. Like, how did you feel then, growing up, in terms of your just sort of like your adjacent. You know, how like your connection to whiteness, I guess, or your relationship to whiteness. I mean, I, I guess like, I, I kind of don't know what you guys are talking about because I've never hmm. felt like I wanted to be white, like not even a little bit. And in fact, I've actively like been happy about being Asian, like for, I don't know, most of my life. It just feels unique. It feels like it, uh, it's a, it was a cooler thing to be. Um, <laughs> And then I think that's interesting because just for context, where Tangent grew up, like we mentioned earlier, 99% white, where I grew up, according to the 2010 census, was 90% white, uh, where Haishin grew up was 74% white and 19% Asian. So a huge difference. Yeah, yeah. Well, this, is only like a few miles. this is only like a few miles from each other in Michigan, you know? So. We're literally neighboring neighboring cities. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, maybe it was also just uh, the what semi-racist teachings of my parents when I was growing up about like why Asian people were so like great and why we should uh, really like uh, you know love the love the motherland. But no, I, I've never felt like you know, I wanted to uh, uh, be of a different race. And I'll, I'll, I'll say like 
you know, I've I had had like diverse friends over the years, but for the most part, throughout all my life, like ninety percent of my friends, few that they may be, are, are Asian. <laughs> like even uh, now, really. <laughs> Uh, I did, Hashem, I didn't realize uh, you were going to be the mouthpiece of the CCP for our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, no one's going to listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> the Chinese are the best, and we crush our enemies. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, like, you, your mom never talked to you about any of that? Like, because I'll no. tell you, this is a big no. point of, like, yeah, but- my parents' book. I mean, uh, well, you know, the other difference is, I mean, my mom remarried uh, twice and both times to uh, white dudes. I really don't remember a lot of conversations where we would sit down and talk about the fact that we were Chinese or I might just be repressing all of them, right? She might have been saying the realest shit to me and I can't remember any of it. <laughs> no, no, but like, wh- you, why, did, why didn't you guys, like, because Josh and me, Josh, is your legal name Josh? I think it is. Uh, it's Joshua, which is also what I go by, Hai Shane. Yeah, and I go by Mike, right? Like, we actually changed our name. It's interesting that your mom made the decision to keep Tianjin. Because even among Chinese names, that that's a, it's not an easy one to pronounce, you know? Like, know. my parents changed my name explicitly for the reason of, like, hoping that teachers would be able to pronounce it a little bit easier. Because they were going with, uh, like, I don't know, the pronunciations were just all over the place. So we picked, like, the just easiest name to pronounce in English, even when we made the switch. For you guys to switch it up to, to Tingen, <laughs> or to keep it at Tingen, rather, it's an interesting choice. Dude, I, I think about that a lot. I mean, my mom kept her name. And I, I don't know, even know if it entered her mind that she was like, oh, I'm going to change it. I think it's still, you know, it, it's like maybe she came and she was like, that's the part of myself that's Chinese that I'm going to keep, right? I don't know. That's a really good question. I should ask her at some point, maybe. Um, I think that's poignant because I, I think it's from both of you, right? From my point of view, there's something about, um, I would say both East Asian and South Asian culture, Southeast Asian, where it's like, all right, so if you're in a new country like America, you do what it takes to survive, you keep your head down and you work hard and you achieve success through stability, mostly financial. So, you know, like just you try to make it in a job that's stable, right? But if you think about it, like a lot of also what we do is like, but no matter what underneath that, we keep the parts of ourselves that are important to us. Haishin, for you, right? You talked about how your parents instill pride in China, in your in your background, in your homeland, ever since you were little. Tianjin, your name was kept as a reminder, right, for who you guys are, where you guys are from. I think that's really important. I think that's something like as a new parent, I want to I want to instill pride in my daughter. Like I don't want her to feel the way I felt about myself for the majority of my life, which is that I hide I had to hide that something was wrong with me, that I was embarrassed of myself, that I was ashamed of my everyday existence. Yeah, I won't lie though. The most annoying thing is uh, my mom's name is Pajin, but she like put it together. Like in Tinjin, there's a space. So everyone calls me right. Jin all the time. And to this day, it's like it's still separated. I'm like, motherfucker, I signed off on an email with Tinjin at the bottom. Like, clearly I used I did that. Tinjin's my first name. It's, you know, I've gone so, so long without putting it together because my fucking mom put, decided to put a space between Tin and Jin while she's Pajin with no space. I was like, what the? 
Oh man. But meanwhile, people are walking around out there with like names like Michelangelo Lucretio as their first name. And then it's like everyone pronounces that fine. It's not even about pronunciation. I'm just mad about the space, man. Like, you know, most, <laughs> most modern technology still can't handle a name with a space in between in between two first names. <laughs> Apologies to Michelangelo Lucretio. So you know what, Haishing? This is literally why I'm trying to, <laughs> trying to you know, make my way through the industry, man. I want everyone to know my name is Tinjin with a space. That's a noble, right? Like that might be the why. Like people, and because you're distinctive on these resume sheets, because they're going and looking at a bunch of Michelangelo Lucretias and then one Tinjin goo. Like, we don't know what's his first name and middle name and last name, and they're all one syllable. This is my origin story. This is why I'm so mad all the time. I'm just like this fucking space between Tinjin. For myself, like changing my name has always seemed like the pragmatic and correct thing to do, and I think yeah. it's probably allowed me to avoid exactly the conversation around uh, how do you pronounce your name enough that so much so that it's worth it, Prin- unprincipled or not. Like it was worth it just to not have that conversation all the time. Wait, so mm. when did you? It's funny you say that because I never call you Mike. I call you Haishing all the time. So when, when right. did that become a ch- a choice? And then your parents were like, and we're going to legally change it. You are now Michael. Go by Mike. No, I, I, so it was, uh, you, you call me Haishing because you know me through, um, through like Josh and them and like church people who called me Haishing, but uh, who knew me before elementary school. But everyone who's like met me through school post like sixth grade calls me Mike. And yeah, I, I know it's, it's, it's kind of weird like that. Uh, hmm. the, but what yeah. happened? in that period between six years old and sixth grade that you're like, I have to go by Mike. I, uh, so I got kicked out of my third grade school because I was uh, a terrible <laughs> eight year old kid. By, <laughs> and, and this was completely deserved. I, I think uh, I won't get into it, but uh, yeah, they, they definitely should have kicked me out of that school. And then my parents thought that like, you know, I would get more teacher attention at uh um, my my new school, if the teachers could actually pronounce my name, and so that's why then they made the change there. Well, and and you're you'd be very distinctive as Hai Xing, right? Like you, they would like accept the student, and then they would be like uh, Hai Xing. They're like the same Hai Xing that got kicked out of that other school. <laughs> there's, only, there's only one Hai Xing, right? As Michael, you could you could disappear in, into the mass of students. <laughs> That is that 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 yeah. It was a good strategic move by by mom and dad on, on that one. Wait, speaking of that though, actually that did remind me of something because I was reading. Um, I don't know if you guys read, read the the Stephen Yan article on New York Times. He, uh, I think it was like a few weeks ago, but he went to the same thing where like he actually he moved to uh, he moved to um, let's see, I'm trying to look through this New York Times article now. Like he moved to America right from Korea and then. Um, he went to Saskatchewan first and then went to Michigan, actually. And then uh, his parents were in uh, Detroit. And then he went by his Korean name for his childhood, um, which is uh, Song Yeop. And then he actually changed it to Steven, which for them was, you know, like the most uh, acceptable, most commonly known Christian name, um, just so he could fit in. And like, that's really interesting because like, obviously that parallels you, but I have a lot of friends who also have that same experience. Well, that's literally your experience, right? Because I didn't know your Taiwanese name until like I was uh, 
I must have been like 24, I think, when I, when I figured it out. Mm. And I've known you since you're like, I don't know, eight, nine. Eight, nine years old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's interesting. Yeah, that, that is my experience too, but it was preempted. Like my parents probably had the same rationale, right? Moving to America and changing my name beforehand. Wait, but but back to uh, back to Stephen Jenner real quick. Like I think uh, this quote like from the article really hit me hard. I just want to share it. Um, so he's saying that, you know, sometimes I wonder if the Asian American experience is what it's like when you're thinking about everyone else, but nobody else is thinking about you. Um, that hit me really, really hard. I think that's super powerful because like I empathize with a lot. That's, that's how I grew up, you know, like worrying about offending people, worrying that I was not, I was standing somewhere I, I wasn't welcome or worrying that, you know, my inadvertent um, foreign ways were going to offend them somehow or get me in trouble or get me bullied. Uh, and I don't know. I I haven't watched Minari yet. I know I know you two have. I don't know if like Stephen Yen is blowing up right now, and I think that's such a good thing. And it's crazy that he was you know he was Glenn on The Walking Dead, and he's Asian obviously, and he had a white girlfriend, and this is like groundbreaking, right? Even today. Yeah, I know. Um, yeah, that quote stuck out to me too because though you know I I guess I referred to it as like sort of erasing myself in the past but that's mm. that's just the experience is you're keeping everything in mind while of course i'm walking around in life as tingent right this moving target with this name um <laughs> but uh i it really did feel like um i was thinking about so much but outwardly presenting as like nothing was going on because i it, it, sometimes i would be like immobilized by thinking about everything and what everyone could possibly do to me or you know the where i could like misstep and all of these things and for the most part i mean throughout probably most of my school career uh until middle school teachers would just say tension's just really quiet like he's really really quiet he doesn't really say much and that actually in first grade the teacher was so worried she thought that i wasn't understanding english so she, so they actually hired another like uh, a teacher to teach me English. So I would like step out for like an hour in the morning and learn and learn English, but I already knew all of these words. <laughs> I was like, so I mean, well, like, they literally I knew, hired I another teacher. Of, they hired, yeah, there was another teacher that came in. And I, what I'm getting from this is that your school loves you, man. Yeah, yeah they're exactly. like really spending a lot of money on this tangent. Kid. Yeah, holy crap. <laughs> yeah, they're like, this is, yeah, I'm actually an example of public schools working, working very well, working in my favor. Yeah. This guy, he's going to introduce streaming one day. We got to <laughs> invest a lot. Protect him at all costs. This is the most obscure joke that you have, Haishing. Uh, I, I worked on a few seasons of House of Cards, so FYI. And then and then Haishing, you know, Haishing has is essentially extrapolated out of that, that I introduced streaming to the masses. Who, who was streaming shit before House of Cards? Actually, this is not an important conversation. We'll get into this uh, at, at some other point. But Another episode. Yeah, yeah, th- yeah. Thank you for, for, for that uh, introduction. My wife and I love it. Mm-hmm. It's a great yeah. invention by you. The greatest invention. <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, like, well, it, it is quite admirable for your school to uh, go and hire a teacher like that. I got like, so uh, is for myself personally, I don't understand this quote because is what this quote is saying that 
Asians are quiet because they're always trying to figure out like how to go and fit in 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 this country. I think that's to me. That's cool saying that. Oh, Scott, go ahead, Tejin. I was just gonna say that's just that's one angle of it, right? Take out of it what your experience is. Hashing, if it hasn't been your experience, it can't, right? I mean, we're not ultimately we're not a monolith. Um, so anything is not going to, you know, affect us all the same, but it resonated for me. And it sounds like for Josh too, Josh, you were about to say something. Yeah, I think, um, well, first of all, like Tinja said, we're not a monolith. We're not experts on the Asian American experience. This is just ours. Right. So it's cool. Like everyone has different ones growing up, but I think like, uh, Tehe Nisi Coates said something really important where he talks about in this book, um, you know, in, in this book, uh, that he, he writes to his son, uh, in this book, uh, Between the World and Me, he talks a lot about how when you are a person of color, um, you're not exactly living the same, obviously you're not living the same experience as, you know, someone who's not a minority, but also time-wise, there's a concept called a the theft of time in which you're spending so much of your mind share, making sure that you are safe, making sure that you're not sticking out, making sure that you're not offending someone accidentally, that you're not fully living in the same time frame that's allotted to someone else who is not a minority with that same time. So I think about that a lot where like I grow up and I worry about fitting in. I worry about not being able to be able to communicate like how I'm feeling on the inside. I worry about being beat up. I worry about all of the slurs. I worry about people thinking I'm feminine because I'm an Asian male. I think about all of these things. And like Tenjin said, though I, though I appear quiet on the outside, I appear calm on the outside. Inside, I am torturing myself almost. Right. It's um, in, in the black community, they call it code switching. It goes all the way back to code switching to WB Du Bois too, the double consciousness, right? You're holding, mm-hmm. you, you know that for the majority they act a certain way. So it's not always just about being quiet, but it's being palatable to the majority, and the majority mm-hmm. right now is white people. So I, I mean, Hai Shing, I don't know, man. You sounded rambunctious as hell and got yourself kicked out of third grade. So maybe you know, <laughs> maybe, you that. maybe you understood something more than you know, something deeper than we did, and you're where you were like revolt, um, and you know, unite my my fellow CCB brethren and sistren. <laughs> well, yeah, is that preemptive? That's a good question. Like, is that preemptive so you didn't get picked on? About uh, um, being what, like uh, getting kicked out of third grade? Um, yeah, possibly. I, 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 I think there, there's definitely an element of that in there where uh, I uh, was probably more aggressive than I needed to be in some situations, so to avoid getting picked on. I don't know. I, I, I just I, I, I understand like the idea that in some of code switching. That in this country, Asians need to go and figure out how to adapt to certain situations to get our point across to what a white controlled world, right? But I don't know. From my perspective, it's always felt more pragmatic. It's never really weighed on me emotionally, you know? It's only mm. weighed on me from like, a, because uh, again, let me go. Uh, when, when I was ta- doing interviews in college, right? And I figured out like, hey, wow, I. I don't understand like how to go and talk to these uh, older white white people and try to convince them that I'm a great candidate for this job or not. When I was going through that, like 
you know, I had to go and think about like, okay, what would they want to hear? What do, are they really looking for, for people for this position? And how can I go and like portray myself in that way? How can I talk through my resume in a way that's appealing to them? But it was always a pragmatic thing. Like, I mean, I'm, I, I didn't feel very emotional about it. Um, in, in the way that like Stephen Young and I think like you guys are actually referring to. But it, it's weighed on you enough that I, I know, I guess maybe, I don't know the conversations that we have. I mean, it's weighed on you enough that you've given your kids, you know, Chinese names and also <laughs> had, had Chinese or at least had Asian friends. Right. Like that's it, it, it at least like the way that you've talked about it, it's felt purposeful. No, no, yeah, I mean, I, I give my kids Chinese names because I got a lot of pride, right? And I'm mostly hanging out with Asians just because it's easier to relate to them. But, like, when it comes to this whole fitting in thing, I, I got to say, it only matters to me in, in kind of practical terms, right? Like, if I need something, I, I will, like, spend, you know, mental energy thinking about how I can adapt myself or my communication or the presentation of myself to go and get said thing. But outside of that, I mean, I, I just haven't felt like that identity crisis around it, right? Right. Maybe not, maybe, you know, the question isn't so much, like, does it weigh on you or whatever, but it's it's present in your mind. Like, you think about it. That's true. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it's a hurdle. It's just an, like, I don't know. I, I feel like it's just an inconvenience. Though. Not one that like in theory, I should have to deal with in, in this country for all the ideals that America is. But I mean, I've always treated it. It felt like it was just an inconvenience more than anything. Mm, spoken like a true Chinese communist. <laughs> it, not to not to reduce it but like i do wonder if like the difference in the demographic of the neighborhood you grew up in did play a big part in that um i think it's just easier right to it's easier to feel like you belong when you see others that are more similar to you than not yeah. and i think that's why like having a leading man and steven steven young and um like minari and um and burning right burning i heard was really good so i actually i have to catch up on these i haven't watched them yet but yeah i, I think that's a huge deal and i don't know like did you did you too feel like he was a good um not necessarily representation but a good example of the asian american experience he he was he, he definitely was that that movie resonated a ton um because i i honestly i don't think that I've ever seen a movie about like what it feels like to grow uh, grow up Asian American um, in this country. Like we know just from the media, we know a lot about at least Hollywood's point of view of what it means to grow up as as a white kid in this country, but very little about like what it means for Asian Americans. So like for that part, if I'm relating what happened in Minari, the little boy's experience with like my experience with my grandparents, my parents growing up, like it, it's a, uh, there's a lot of it that resonates. Like my question coming out of that movie though, is, uh, is whether um, over time, it's going to be looked at as a very uh, idealized version of like the Asian American experience in this country, because like it is still like a uh, kind of bootstraps type movie. I don't know. Tinya, what do you think? I mean, I agree. Um, and for me, my hope is coming out of this. is like, this is just one example of an Asian American experience. I mean, a lot of it did resonate with me because I saw myself 
in Steven's character, in the boy's character, Alan Kim, you know, like the mom, the even the grandma and the sister, like uh, all of them, um, all of them taken as a whole. Like I, I even remember like growing up, even, you know, even though I was in this small town in Michigan, um, when they were in the church and that white kid just kept looking at the boy um, and just saw him more as a curiosity as opposed to being like overtly racist or anything. Um, that's kind of what it felt like. I was like a curiosity in the small town. So I was the only, you know, kid of color. Um, and I hope that, you know, as we continue to tell more of our stories, uh, that's not the thing. There's not going to be so much weight placed on it, right? As like, this is the idealized thing. I think a lot of it is placed on it right now because there's not a lot of movies out there like Minari. So, you know, let's mm. hope that, you know, it's, as, as time passes, it'll just be looked upon as a great American movie or a great movie. I shouldn't even say American movie because it's, you know, it's, it transcends that cultural great movie right so yeah yeah i get really annoyed when people look at me still to this day so like just hearing about that example it riled me up um and yeah like like you said it should be great movie period like um you know i talked about i'm i have a daughter she just turned one and like my friends um every time they see her on on video chat they're always like oh man that's a cute asian baby and it's like why did you have to add the word asian in it though why can't she just be a cute baby why is it that Asian things always had that label Asian before them? They've seen a lot of I don't understand Asian it. babies. That's why. They were like, Asian baby. That's a whole website you don't know yeah. about. It's just like <laughs> a, a slideshow about the ugliest Asian kid. <laughs> It's just—it's essentially, you know, hot or not, but for Asian babies, you know, cute or not, <laughs> Asian baby or not. <laughs> but but that's a good point, though. Like, I I feel like, I feel like, yeah, it should be just a good movie. And like you said, because there aren't that many other examples of it, a lot of weight is placed on this being the example of the Asian American experience versus like an example. And I think like uh, something I read recently is like you know um. I brought this up before, but like like Chloe Kim, right? The Olympic snowboarder. She won gold um, at the Winter Olympics when she was thirteen, which is crazy young. And um, she and that's like a really really happy event, right? She won a gold medal for USA, um, and she should rightly be proud of it. But immediately after, she got hit up by all these people in her DMs being like, hey, you Asian bitch, go home. And like, um, she did an interview with Next Shark where she was talking about like she gets like thirty of these a month. And it's crazy that she literally won a gold medal for America and people still don't like people do not still accept they don't accept her as American, even doing something super prestigious like that. And she's saying more importantly than that, aside from people piling on lots of races, lots of overly sexualized things to her. Asian Americans are also being like, hey, you have this platform. Why aren't you speaking up? And she's like, I think people need to understand that. I'm also an Asian American and I'm hurting too, just like you guys. I'm in pain too. I don't know what's going on. This is like, this is a crazy time for our country. And like, I need some space too. And I think that, you know, like it's important for us to provide more and more examples and to increase the visibility of everything in media so people can know that we are a spectrum. We're not a monolith. We're not just one way to live, but we're a spectrum of people just like everyone else. Yeah, man. Uh, completely agree with that. Um and that's just so upsetting because we only have a few um, public figures that we can count on, right? 
Mm-hmm. And every, you know, the fact that there are so few, well, you know, it's like, you know, with a Minari, with a Chloe Kim, um, there's so much pressure for it to succeed when it's like, if we just have more of it, um, you know, we don't have to place all that weight on it. Yeah. So J- Josh, we, you know, uh, and hi, Shane, I guess I'll include you too, you know, even though you're so, uh, <laughs> this is, this is a good, good take. <laughs> 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 um, but yeah, uh, you know, I, I hope that, uh, you know, more and more we're, uh, we're in the conversation for things, uh, until, you know, until we're just seen as people and, you know, we can just be hated upon as individual shitty people. Uh, yep. in the meantime, let's celebrate brilliant Asian moments. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I I feel like it'd be nice to end on some things that we're really into uh, that have really stuck out to us um, from the Asian pop culture sphere. I just watched Nomadland and I won't lie. I had reservations going in because I was like, why won't Chloe Zhao like put in like an Asian protagonist in her movies? I was, even though I love the writer, I'm like, oh, she celebrates. She's a fucking brilliant filmmaker um, and amazing storyteller. Uh, but I was like, oh, I wish she put an Asian American character in here. But watching Nomadland, it like transcends everything. It really felt like it was. Um, it certainly captured this very specific white American experience. But for me, I didn't even see that anymore because it really encapsulated for me. I was like, even as, like an, the immigrant experience. You know, like just wandering, constantly trying to find your, find your community, um, and then also just relying on yourself. It was so beautiful. Um, so that's my, you know, brilliant Asian moment. My brilliant, yeah, my brilliant Asian moment this week was I had to write a uh, a letter to the homeowners association and um, include a, a check for a permit um, that I need to um, go and redo our fence. And, uh, it, you know, it's been a while since I've written anything on paper, but feel felt good, you know, got to practice all the handwriting. Uh, you can change the, the type font without, uh, <laughs> for every letter um, in effortless way. So, yeah, uh, just wanted to recognize the the brilliance of Asians in inventing paper. <laughs> is that a is good one? Is this a real thing? Is this a real thing that you're doing? Or... <laughs> no, this is real. Like, I, I can't think of anything else. Like, I, I, I actually did enjoy the tactile sensation of writing this week because I just don't write that often. Like, even the notes I take are on my laptop, right, uh, for work. But so... You know, it was cool to write, and you know, I I, I do know that uh, what the Han Dynasty invented paper, so yeah. Uh, maybe I'll go next, and then you can think of another. One. <laughs> uh, wait, wait, I I really want to keep that. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the things they teach you. Like this is the like second grade thing. Like, did you know the Chinese invented gunpowder and paper? And then like yeah. then, then it's. The, you, you, you don't think it's a, a meaningful accomplishment, paper, on which everything has been written except for the Ten Commandments? Wait, so this uh, this Asian, except for the Ten Commandments, uh, this, this Asian brilliance thing, is this something that has to be recent, or is this something that you're thinking about this week? No, Clearly not. 
it's just, just thinking about, it doesn't have to have, have happened recently. It could, you know, we can definitely bring up recent pop culture, but I, I think it should just be whatever's been on our mind. Okay. So I, I can go, I can go. Um, so I don't know. Um, lately I've been, I feel like this last year I went into like a Martin Wong kick, um, because this retrospective, uh, got released, I believe it was the Met and, um, Martin Wong is this painter, um, who, uh, he was Chinese American and he was heavily involved in the Latinx and the black community as well. Um, and he's queer and he, uh, you know, he painted a lot about these different subjects, about multiculturalism, about not belonging in, um, you know, the, the um, I guess, just like the white culture of like having to create his own way and of also just having to hide his sexuality, but learning how to be proud of it. And one of his like one of my favorite pieces by him. Um, he uses motif a lot where he paints symbols from the American Sign Language onto landscapes that of places that are really, really important to him. And I think to me that's just so brilliant because obviously ASL, right, is for people who can't speak. And I do feel like that's I, I relay a lot to that because I feel like the my experience growing up, I felt muzzled. I felt like I couldn't talk most of the time, even though I had a lot to say. And I think, you know, even today people are like, oh man, like Asians are like the quiet minority. But like a lot of people are screaming. We're screaming at the top of our lungs. It's just like not enough people are listening. So I think this is something definitely like I want to be a part of to change moving forward. And that's why, you know, Martin Wong is so top of mind for me right now. Make me feel like I shouldn't have picked paper. <laughs> and, that, and now you exist in your Chinese shame, Haishin. I should have picked a better one. come across this culture now. Oh, God. Uh, all right. Well, uh, great catching up, guys. Um, and uh, thanks so much for listening, everyone. Uh, and please, we'd love to hear from you. Catch us at glowgettersaa at gmail.com also glowgettersaa on twitter and instagram hi shing what are you doing <laughs> are you playing with foam again what? oh yeah sorry no i'm playing with foam yeah i didn't realize it was uh, coming across <laughs> Also, I'm gonna call you out when you start. You, you like you set down your can in like the loudest way possible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>